Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Mark 1, 1 1-20. Mark declares that the long-awaited kingdom has come near and calls the people to return to God, repent, surrendering themselves, believing completely in Him. Let's hear today's message. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I'm, I'm always excited when we get to worship as, as one uh, church family. I know for some of you it's a little bit of a struggle whenever you hear one type of music, you go, oh, that's not me, and others go, oh, that's not me. But, but there are some things we have in common. One is the prayer that we say together every week, right? The prayer that includes the phrase, thy kingdom come, Finish it with me. We all know it, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say that every week, whether it's in the modern service or the, or the traditional service. But I wonder how much we thought we've given to what that actually means. What are we praying for? As Jason said, we are starting a study in the Gospel of Mark, a study that will take us all the way Uh, through Easter. And one of the wonderful things about the Gospel of Mark is the, the, the emphasis that's placed on the concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It is, it is all throughout the Gospel. And as we are introduced to the book this morning, I want us to be able to see it, to, to be able to frame it in our minds so that we can ask that question, what is this kingdom? What are we praying for? so that we can ask it all through the weeks to come. Uh, To help us frame that, though, I I thought, we got to illustrate this in a certain way. And and an idea came to mind, an idea I need some help with. So I want to invite all of the students in our congregation up here, if you're willing to help me. I'm not going to ask you to sing, dance, speak. If you are a student who who might need a little extra money, you would want to come forward, right? This would be a time for you. You can be a middle school student. You can, there you go, Jaron. Isaac, come on. Pastors, kids, get forced. Nick, Hex, I see you up there. You are well, we will wait on you. Owen's coming from the booth. I, I need a little, all right, this is good. And it, it can be middle school, college. We got a couple college kids here. Three, here he comes. All right, Jimmy, we'll wait. God, now see, they're coming finally. All right, great. All right, so we're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And we will see it's a concept that's it's really kind of hard to get our head around. And I don't suggest in this illustration I'm going to be able to answer that perfectly. But I do think there's a, there's a tension or a dynamic that this illustration might be able to set up. All right, I know you can move quicker than that. Let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. There you go. I'm trying to fill time, and it's hard. It looks easy, but it's not, right? All right, so. And I try not to take it personally that you guys sit as far away from me as you can uh, some Sundays, all right? All right, so here's, here's the deal, all right? I'm going to make you an offer, and you need to separate yourselves based on which of these two things you want to you wanna say yes to, right? Offer number one, I will give you a million dollars right now. 
All right? Offer number two, I will give you a penny. You're like, there's more to it than that, right? Of course, yes. I will give you a penny today. I'll set it aside, and I will double that every day for 30 days. And at the end of those 30 days, you can have whatever that adds up to, right? So a million dollars right now, or a penny, right? So if you think a million dollars, stand over here. If you want the penny that doubles, go over here, right? Kind of separate, separate. What do you think? We've got some movement. Penny over here, penny over there, million dollars, million dollars, million. All right, all right, so. <laughs> it's like, I'm not so sure, right? All right, so I'll give you a couple. We're gonna, I'm going to show you what that penny adds up to, and I'll give you a little bit of opportunity to change your mind for a bit until I say last chance, all right? So feel free to shift if you want. So on the screen, everyone see this here? On the screen, you get a sense of what that penny adds up to over the first five days, right? It's really hard math, as you can see. One to two to four to six to 16. At day five, you guys have 16 cents. Anyone want to shift over here? We're only going to 30. Once we get to 30, it is done. All right. I'm not going to do every day like this. You'll just have to trust me on the math. But let's, let's look at day 10. Day 10, you got $5.12. These guys have a million dollars right now. Anyone want to anyone wanna shift? Nope, you're standing strong. Okay, all right, all right. Let's go one more. 15, this is your last chance to move. Last chance, okay? 15 days, halfway through the month, y'all have $163.84. These guys have a million bucks. <laughs> no? Standing strong? All right. Let's see how this plays out, okay? Day 20, $5,242. You can't move now, but we're all kind of starting to feel sorry for you, right? Million dollars, 5,000, this is a big, 25, 25, day 25, 167,000 plus, that's a lot of money. It's nothing compared to a million dollars, right? How about day 26? Now we're just going to go day by day. 335, day 27, 671. You still, there's only three days left. But now those who are good at math begin to see it, right? <laughs> day 28. Ooh. A million 342,000. Jaron's like, dang it! Right? <laughs> day 29. Day 30. Five million dollars. A million dollars here, five million dollars there. You've probably already guessed, I have none of that. <laughs> but I did go out and buy some gift cards, and Landon has them at the end of the service. If you'll go to Landon, he will give you a gift card as a thanks for coming up. All right? It's not five million dollars. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you for playing along. I want to reflect on that for a moment. Because I want you to think about how hard, how hard it is to believe in a promise that you cannot yet fully take hold of, that 
that you are told is coming, but, but it's not yours. How hard it is to believe and trust in that compared to something that can be yours right here and now. Because that's what Mark is going to suggest to us about the kingdom of God. That there's a kingdom that is this world. It's something that we can take hold of right here and right now. And while there are some aspects of it that are good, there's much that is bad. And all of it falls far short of what is promised in God's kingdom. And it's hard. It's hard to believe and persist the end and take hold of this kingdom, especially when you have people who are people you trust, people you admire, who are, who are giving up, who are moving. Just so you know, my, my kids were plants. I told them to move at certain times in the hopes that they might influence uh, what was going on. I think our First Pres kids are pretty smart. I didn't see too many people being influenced when my kids were meeting. But Keep that in your, in your mind, that image of holding on to the very end. Because you saw there, you didn't see it. You didn't see the benefit. You didn't see the reward. You didn't fully grasp it until darn near the end. So too is it with God's kingdom. I want to pray, and then I hope you still have the scripture open. If not, I invite you to open to Mark chapter 1 and And we'll look at this book, really just one verse in particular, to try to understand uh, conceptually the the whole of the gospel. But let's let's pray as as you turn there. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word and your spirit. Thank Thank you for your promise to meet us right where we are. You have spoken to us about this kingdom that is coming with you into the world. This kingdom that was born when you were born as a, as a baby. We speak it in prayer every week. And yet, Lord, I think all of us would likely confess we, we don't fully understand what we're saying. And so both now in these moments and in the weeks to come, would you help us to understand and believe in this kingdom uh, of which you are the king. Lead us, Lord Jesus, we pray in in your name. Amen. All right, well, the Gospel of Mark has a thesis statement. That is to say, a, a statement right at the outset that says, all right, here's the main point. Keep this in mind because everything that follows is given to support this main point. That that thesis statement is verse 15, Jesus' own words. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We just want to sit in this verse mostly and try to understand what Jesus is saying because this is the the statement for the whole of the gospel. This statement has two declaratives and two imperatives. Kind of catchy, right? Two declaratives and two imperatives. What's a, what's a declarative? A declarative is just when someone declares something. Versus an imperative. That's a grammatical phrase that means someone is commanding or exhorting. They're doing a whole lot more than suggesting. They're saying, you got to do this. Right? 
So think about it in this way. If you're traveling in a car with, with a friend, they're driving, you're the passenger, you notice that the light has turned red, but they are messing with the radio. They don't notice. You might say, it's turned red, stop. A declarative, right? It's turned red, that leads to an imperative, stop. That's what we have here, two declaratives and two imperatives. Let's try to undersee them and understand them. What does the gospel declare? Well, the first one, the time has come. Jesus says the time has come. It's a, it's a reference to that which we have been taking hold of now for months. It points back to the Old Testament to the words of the prophets, to the understanding that there would be this future moment when God enters the world and brings salvation. This is not a random thing that's happening, but something that has been prophesied since long ago. And by starting his gospel, by referencing John the Baptist, as he does in in verses 2 and 3, Mark is trying to set this story in that context. The time has come. John the Baptist, an Old Testament-like prophet, is announcing it. This is important because it helps us recognize the trustworthiness of the gospel. That God is not acting randomly um, or sporadically, but this has been well thought out. And announced in this moment. God is keeping his word. Now speaking of trust. Let me tell you just a couple of things about the gospel. That you might find helpful. It was written by Mark. Or often referred to in the scripture as John Mark. Not one of the disciples. But a a companion of the disciples. uh, Mostly of the apostle Peter. And so more than any of the other three gospels. The gospel of Mark is likely Peter's account of his time with Jesus. Many of the the stories are uniquely Peter's. And that's especially important when you recognize that that Peter is not pictured as a heroic figure in the gospel, right? You notice stories of Peter falling all over himself. Lends itself to some some sense of authenticity. Peter's not trying to paint himself as a hero. He's He's telling the truth. This is the earliest of the four Gospels, written about 65 A.D., we think. So think about it. That's like 30, 35 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So that is to say, um, people who witnessed Jesus' life and ministry, who witnessed the resurrection and the crucifixion, many of them were still alive. As this gospel's being circulated, certainly many of those people, if, if stories in here would have been false, you would, you would see them going, whoa, 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 that didn't happen that way. But we don't see anything like that recorded in history. The time has come. First declarative. Second declarative. The kingdom of God has drawn or has come near. What does that mean? And here's here's the word that is kind of the focus for the next few months. Kingdom. The kingdom of God 
has come near. It's an intentionally confusing phrase. The kingdom has come, but not fully. The kingdom is near, but not exactly here. Because the kingdom is near, you you could take a step and take hold of it, or not. It's not forced upon you. God's kingdom, Mark is saying, is breaking into history in an incredibly mysterious, awesome, profound way. What is this kingdom? Well, Mark never comes out and defines it exactly. Nor can I. He, he lends himself to, to mystery. If you don't remember anything else, remember from the gospel that Mark is, is all about mystery. He loves to just get you thinking and then leave you be. And so instead of telling you what the kingdom is, he's going he's gonna to show you. You will see the kingdom as Jesus heals people and as he drives out demons and you're going, all right, so what am I supposed to understand from this? Does that mean I can, I can go over to the hospital and just go, you're healed? Maybe. Some people believe that. What are we supposed to understand about the kingdom? We, we ask the question, when, when Jesus uses five loaves and two fish, many of you know that story, right? And he feeds thousands of people. He says the kingdom of God is like this. How are we supposed to understand that? Why is there still global poverty if that's the kingdom? What does that that mean? We're invited to kind of wrestle with that. Jesus talks to us about the kingdom, but he does so using parables. He said the kingdom of God is like, and he would tell this story, and people would go away and go, huh? And then he would gather with his disciples, right, just the 12, and, he, and sometimes he would say, all right, so let me explain that parable to you, and, and he would do his best to explain it, but even then, they still struggled to get to understand it. And Jesus will talk about the kingdom as he confronts religious leaders of the day. The people that thought they understood the kingdom had it all figured out, and he would say, ah, not so fast. More than looking at the effects of the kingdom as we go through the gospel, make sure you're looking at Jesus himself. Because what marks a kingdom? Isn't it the character of the king? Watch how Jesus interacts with people. Watch the way he loves. Watch the way he speaks graciously and truthfully, all at the same time. For these mark this kingdom that we're going to be talking about. Who will take hold of this kingdom? Mark frames this question at the very beginning. Though you likely haven't seen it, let me help you see that here. Look at verses 16 through 20. I'll begin to read some of it. I won't read all of it, but... As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Like this is the beginning. Jesus says, all right, 
Who will take hold of my kingdom? I'm going to call out to these fishermen. They're going to leave their profession. They're going to leave their boat. They're going to leave their net. They're going to leave their father, and they're going to follow him. To which the reader should be asking, really? Right? I mean, you've asked that before, haven't you? If you've read the Gospels at all, you've likely asked the question, what made these men follow Jesus before they've really seen him do much of anything, probably? And that's exactly the question that Mark wants you to ask. Why? Why are these people following Jesus? It's the same question that's at the end. This is really interesting. Flip to the back of the book. Mark chapter 16. I want you to notice. Sorry, I don't, have a, I don't have anything on the screen for you on this one. So if you didn't open your Bible, you're just going to have to trust me on this. But um, Mark chapter 16. This is really fascinating. So you will likely see uh, verses 1 through 8 pictured in kind of the normal way, and then in your Bible there's likely a line, likely a footnote, and maybe verses 9 through whatever it is, 20, kind of italicized or marked off. Is that what it looks like in your Bible? Yeah, here's what's going on there. I, and really any biblical scholar that is paying attention, is pretty certain that verses 9 through 20 were not Mark's original words. The question is, did Mark end his gospel at verse 8? Or was there a different ending that somehow got lost? I'm pretty confident uh, that he ended at verse 8. If for no other reason, I'm confident of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that superintends God's word. And look at the way he ended it. Verse 8 After Jesus was crucified, taken down from the cross, put in the tomb, as the people were mourning and in agony, we read, trembling. Oh, and so so the women go to the tomb to prepare his body, but find the stone is rolled away and the body's gone. And an angel has said, he's not here. He has risen. It's with that, that the women say, verse, verse 8, Mark says about the women, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What kind of an ending is that? It's a mysterious ending, is it not? It's an ending that ought to cause the reader to go, I wonder what they'll do. Are they going to believe? Are they, in spite of their fear, going to follow Jesus? Are they going to take hold of the gospel, of the, of the kingdom? We, we don't know from Mark's reading, and that's exactly the point. That from beginning to end, he's framing this question, who will take hold of the gospel? He shows us the disciples at the beginning in a way that makes us go, why are these guys doing that? And then he shows us the women at the end and through them invites us to ask ourselves that same question. Will I? 
Will I believe? Will I take hold of the kingdom? It's a hard one. So hard that that's why some scribe, probably in the second or third century, went, that can't be the right ending, and made one up. Probably well-meaning, but that's what 9 through 20 is. Who will take hold of this kingdom? Will you? That's the question you should be asking every week, and especially when we end the Gospel of Mark, On Easter morning, in this place, in great celebration, what will your answer be? Those are the two declaratives. Now, look at the two imperatives. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Imperative one, repent. (laughs) Repent. The only time we hear that word these days is outside of a football game with some weird preacher yelling at us, right? It's the only time we hear it. I got to go to the Browns game Thursday night, just on the side. My ears just got done ringing. Go Browns, right? But anyway, I know. Give me a break. It's been 25 years. I can't, I mean. It's the only time you hear something like that. Thankfully, we didn't hear that at that game. And so you might not be aware, repent literally means to turn around. If you're going in one direction, when someone says repent, it means turn around. But it actually means more than that in this context. It means go back again. Or or turn back to Yahweh. That's what Mark is saying to his readers, especially as he puts it in this kind of religious context where he's putting John the Baptist as part of the story and the, and the people are coming to John the Baptist and they're confessing their sin. It's this recognition that, oh, we as a people once knew God and we abandoned him and, and we are going to go back again now. And so they're going to the river to be baptized, to confess their sins, to prepare themselves. Jesus goes too, of course, not confessing sin, for he committed no sin, but as a way of initially identifying with this kingdom that is coming into the world. For what will become the mark of this kingdom in the life of the church, the mark that you belong, well, it's baptism, right? And so Jesus takes this mark from the very beginning. And so there also is a question we should be asking ourselves. Uh, In what way do I need to turn around? In what way do I need to uh, return to him again? Every day, every week, as we're going through this this account, ask yourself that question. "Am Am I trusting something more than I'm trusting God? Again, put that image up here, right? If, if God has said, look, I promise, I'll give you a penny today, but I'm going to multiply it, and I promise at the end it's going to be worth it. Are we tempted on some days to go, no, I just, I, I just can't trust and, and move over here? I mean, some might in that illustration go, well, Clint, this is math, right? Math's easy to believe. Math doesn't change. Neither does God. Neither does God. And yet, even so, sometimes we go, ah, I'm not so sure. Repent, and last imperative, believe. Believe. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe 
the good news uh, that, that comes. It's a problem with the word believe, especially in our context. In the Western world, believe is almost considered exclusively an intellectual word. Do you believe something means do you intellectually believe it to be true? But in the Hebrew world, believe meant a whole lot more than that. It meant to entrust. It meant to surrender. It meant to to allow your intellect to drive then your actions. Like in the Gospel of Luke, this word translated believe here is used in one of the parables that Jesus shares. I know I'm not going to share the parable, but it's often called the parable of the shrewd manager. It's all about uh, the moral of it is that, that this guy deceptively uses what has been entrusted to him in this world. He uses it to make friends for himself in heaven, to position himself well in heaven. But look at this, this one verse, Luke 16, 11, should be on the wall in front of you. Jesus says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? It's the same word, believe here. It's the same word, but I think it conveys the understanding better. In handling worldly wealth, who will believe you with true riches? Who will trust you? Who will surrender to you? Who will give to you? That's what we mean by believe. I mean, it's like, it's like sitting in a chair. Some of you have shown, seen me use this illustration before, right? If someone asked me, do I believe this chair will hold me if I sit down. I might intellectually say, yeah, I believe that. No, I really do. I couldn't tell you how. I know nothing about the physics of how those four legs will hold me up. I do know I ate quite a bit over the holidays, and it'll be a little heavier. There'll be more pressure on this, but I believe it. If I just tell you I believe over and over and over again, what good is that? Nothing. The scripture calls us to believe and sit down. Even as we don't fully understand everything, I can't tell you the physics of how that works. But I believe it. And so I sit without even thinking about it. So too are we called to believe. In this one who will be the focus of the gospel over the next few months. And the kingdom that he is bringing. We are called to believe and act in faith. Everyone acts on faith in this world. We know that, right? Everyone acts in faith. Sometimes our faith is in our own perceptions and our own feelings about the world and what's right and wrong. I mean, just as I, I can't, I can't give you evidence of why that holds me off the top of my head. I'm by faith sitting there, so do, do, do all sorts of people just act and live by faith in themselves in the world. But we are called to put our faith not in ourselves who are so often wrong. You do see that, right? If you're old enough. Oh, I used to think this. <laughs> I was wrong about that. We're called not to put our faith primarily there, but in, in Jesus and in his word and in his kingdom and believe what he tells us 
regardless of what we might feel. Let me show you just one example of that, and then I'm done. Just really quick, one example. I want you to see verse 11. Verse 11, this could be a whole sermon by itself, and it won't be, I promise. But but no, this is the way I want you to approach the gospel. Jesus goes down in the water, and he's baptized. And then it says, heaven opened up. And the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then here's the voice of the Father in heaven. Listen to what he says. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now think about that for a moment. The kingdom of the world suggests this. That you are loved significantly, maybe not exclusively, but significantly on the basis of what you do, right? You are loved significantly on the basis of what you do. Your employer loves you. Your spouse might love you. I'm just so grateful. Your children might love you. Thank you for that gift, right? That people might struggle to love you if you don't do certain things, if you, if you challenge your family over and over and over and over again. They may love you, but to actually act on that, you're, the, wor- the, the, the wor- kingdom of the world says we are primarily loved on the basis of what we do. But the kingdom of heaven that's coming into the world here, notice, Jesus has not done a thing That his baptism inaugurates his ministry. His baptism comes before he does anything of great significance. And the father announces, I love him. And with him I am well pleased. This is a mark of the kingdom of heaven. That's oh so different from the kingdom of the world. It's true of Jesus and it's true of us as well. And it's these types of things I hope you'll notice as we work our way through the gospel. Just as it's tough to believe the promise of a delayed reward, like the kids up here, it's tough for us too. We know that, right? We say we believe, and then we go through some challenge. That's all the more reason to lean into the gospel, to lean into the truth of what God's word is telling us, and to trust his spirit, to trust his word. Let's do that together. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this gospel and the promised coming of your kingdom. Would you help us? Help us to understand more and more what this kingdom is, who you are and who you call us to be as we believe, as we entrust as we surrender ourselves to you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.